Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Awesome. Do me a favor. Open your book, your word, your sword, your Bible to the Luke Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We're going to continue this series in Luke 9. Our series studying the book of Luke that we do every fall, but chapter 9 specifically, the one in which we've entitled Seeing Jesus Clearly. Our entire goal over the course of this fall as we walk through chapter 9 in the Lucian Gospel is to understand Jesus, to see Jesus more clearly. And we've just done that over the last several weeks as we've come to understand and see the the disciples begin to articulate more clearly who Jesus really is, not just as teacher, not just as friend, but now as the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And last week you heard me preach, we talked about the transfiguration. Jesus himself not only confirms their, their step of faith, Peter's utterance and confession of faith, but he also reveals himself in the fullness of his glory alongside both Moses and Elijah, God the Father himself descends as a cloud and confirms who Jesus is. And we pick up that story right here in Luke 9 at verse 37. We're going to read just seven verses, 37 through 43, in a shift in focus in chapter 9. And it reads like this, Luke 9, 37. Now, on the next day when they, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out. He said, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only son. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and suddenly he cries out. Then it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and it will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus then answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to bear with you and to be with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw the boy to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all astonished at the majesty of God. The title of our message today, if you're taking notes right at the top of your page, I'd love you to write this. This is Everything You Need to Know About demons. Amen? Let me pray over this word today. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the life-giving, God-breathed word. I ask that you would wash us in it today, that we might come to better know you and to be changed by you. Now, God, remove me from this equation completely. Use me exactly as you see fit. Speak through these lips of clay the unsearchable riches of Christ that it is able to bring forth an inheritance amongst all those that are sanctified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Everything you need to know about demons. Hear me, church. This is not everything there is to know about demons. But today, I'm going to teach you everything that you a believer in Jesus Christ, absolutely without a doubt, no questions asked, must know about demons, the devil, spiritual attack, and how to defeat it in Jesus' name. Amen? 
Now, here's the deal. You get through this message and you feel like you want to go deeper in your study of demons. You want to become a demonologist. I love it. Go for it. Please don't get spooky. Just be normal still. But go deep if you need to go deep. But don't you leave this place without understanding all that we're going to talk about today. Amen. I want you to understand that this text that we read, we're reading on purpose. Hear me. This church is an expository Bible-believing church. We believe in reading the whole Bible. We believe that everything in this Bible is absolutely 100% true. Y'all with me? We believe that this Bible in its original interpretation is inerrant, is authoritative, it is sufficient. What's in here is true and we are to submit to it. Amen. If you've come here today and you thought this would be a cool church and you're hoping they don't read any of the hard passages, you have come to the wrong church. Amen. What we read in this Bible is God's word and we submit to it, even the parts that we do not like. And we believe that this Bible is written in such a fashion that what, what's in here is always and totally applicable to our life. And so when we read a story about demonic possession and Jesus' encounter with a boy who is suffering, we read it through the lens of understanding it was true then and has application now. Amen. And so I'm going to show you in this scripture how this story has truth for you today. Now hear me. We are uh, spiritual beings living in this natural world. Amen? Every one of us is a spirit. You have a spirit, and there's a Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? I haven't lost the room just yet, right? Y'all with me? And because we know that this is a spiritual experience, and we know that God is a spirit, and the Holy Spirit is real and dwells within the hearts of every blood-bought believer, we must too also be understanding that if there are good spirits, there are also... Bad spirits, evil spirits, amen. And I want you to be understanding of the fact that we as Christians must not ignore that aspect of the spiritual realm. The gospel is very clear. John 10, 10 tells us that the, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, amen. When John writes this gospel, he's not just writing in metaphor saying, you know what, there might be some bad things and you should watch out for them, but you don't really worry about it. No, he's saying there's a real enemy, a real persecutor, a real devil who's coming after you, and his mission is not patty cake with you. He came to steal from you your inheritance. He came to kill you where you stand and destroy the kingdom of God. Amen. And I want you to see it through that heavy lens so that you understand that what we're going to talk about today matters, it's important, and you cannot ignore it. But I don't want you to be fearful. I want you to understand that there is a real enemy and we're called to fight back in Jesus' name. Y'all with me? Uh, let us never be a church to be like, there's a devil and he's out to get us. Yeah, there's a devil and he's out to get us. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, we have nothing to fear. For we are more than conquerors. We have already won the fight. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he didn't say it is finished, but beware. No, he said, it is, it's all done. Victory is done. The penalty has paid. Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, I want you to understand that we are called to fight back, and this fight is a real fight. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Amen. This is a real enemy. And today we're going to talk about how this real enemy does his work. 
We're going to talk about, very specifically, the formulaic attack of demons today. I'm going to talk about four ways in which demons come after us. We're going to talk about the ways in which we as believers fumble up the defense. And we're going to talk about Jesus' foolproof blueprint for deliverance from spiritual attack. This is about as practical a message as I can get, but also about as spiritual as a message as I can get. And I want you to hear this last piece before we dive into it. We are spiritual people, and we believe that we live in a spiritual world, and much of what we face has spiritual sources and consequences. Amen. But we are not the kind of Christians who do not believe in medicine or therapy. Y'all with me? I believe in Jesus and therapy. Y'all with me? You say, well, Jesus is sufficient. Yes, he is. And one of the ways in which he chooses to help you is through your doctor and your counselor. Come on. There's not a whole body of science that we have to neglect and be like, well, I'm sick, so I'll just pray. No, you can, you can go get a flu shot. Nope, that's the devil. That's how the devil, that's a flu shot and you need it. Amen? We will be believers who trust in the Lord and allow what the Lord has created to help us to run its proper course. So when I talk about deliverance from depression, anxiety, addiction, and fear today, hear me. We're going to talk about spiritual causes and the way to pray through it. And I'm going to encourage you to step into a season of therapy, counseling, or seeing a doctor if you need it. With me? Hear me. Last part, your pastor has a, a therapist. I have a spiritual director. I have a pastor, I have a coach, I have a doctor, amen, and I go to all of them just like you should. Never before I go to the king, amen, king always comes first, but I'm not just going to sit in my house and pray away things that the doctor could help me with. Y'all with me? I'm just pushing, is that good? You're quiet this morning, so I want to make sure that you're not like, nope, never, no doctors, All right, let's dive into this text. I want you to see that the Bible says that as Jesus and the three, the sons of thunder and Peter, are coming down from the mountain from the moment in which Jesus has revealed his power, the Bible says the next day in the Lucian Gospel, they come down and they're met with a crowd. And in the crowd is a man. And the man cries out to Jesus. And he says, teacher, Rabboni, Rabbi, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Now, hear me when you're here. Okay, hear, hear me in this. Uh, this. This is meant as a perfect example of the reason in which we, the reason why we study the Gospel of Luke. Okay, in some of the other translations of this story, this part about the only son is left out. But we study Luke as a part uh, of the way in which we study the Gospel here because the details matter. I love the way that Luke writes because he includes everything, even the things you think might not be important. But the details matter. In this moment, this man cries out to Jesus and. He says, Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, I heard that you're a worker of miracles, and I need you to see my son. And he doesn't yet know, but Jesus knows. He says, he's, Jesus, he's, he's all I got. He's my only son. Now, through the lens of time, you and I both know that Jesus is an only son. And you can imagine with your sanctified mind that in this moment as Jesus is coming down, Having heard the desperation of a father over his only son, his heart would have been pierced to compassion. And he he looks through the crowd and the cacophony of voices. 
gives his full attention to the man who is calling out. And the man begins to outline the battle plan that the demon has put forth against his son. There are four things that the demon is doing to this boy, and they are the four most common ways in which demons attack believers. Remember, we talked about how Luke puts all these details in for a reason. Every one of these four things, we'll touch them in just a second, they're perfectly aligned with the ways in which the enemy still comes after you today. Now, thank God most of us aren't under all four of these things the way that this boy is, but every one of us in this room has been under one of these attacks today, and I want you to see it. This is the battle plan from the demonic realm. The man says, this is my only son and a spirit, a spirit, an unclean spirit. He says it does four things to him. Jesus, the first thing it does is it seizes him, and when it does, it scares him, and he cries out. He says it convulses him. And when it does that, he shakes him so bad he begins to foam at the mouth. And it shatters him. I mean, he's utterly wrecked. And then the worst part, Jesus is, it hardly ever leaves him. I wish for a moment you could put yourself in the shoes of this dad. Every mom and dad in this room who've prayed their kids through a season can recognize what it feels like to be utterly helpless when the enemy is fighting tooth and nail for the souls of your children. And if you're being honest, he's winning. What I love about this story between this man and, and Jesus is he, he, doesn't, he doesn't gloss over the affliction. He doesn't say, Jesus, my son, he's suffering. No, he says he's suffering and this is exactly what he's going through. It's as if this man is more intimately aware of the suffering than even the boy is. He said, I've been up at night, I've been praying at night, I know what it looks like when the enemy comes in, when it seizes him, when it convulses him. I know the signs to look for when it begins to shatter him and when it won't leave him. I, I know what it's like. I see my son suffering every day. I know every inch of this fight. And Jesus, I can't do anything about it. You can do it. And so here's what's happening. What I love is he paints a perfect picture of someone who's interceding for another person and he tells Jesus every part about it. He says, we need you for this part and this part and this part. And I'm not leaving the throne of grace until you help me meet every need for my son because I love him. He's my only one. Four things. First thing he says is, the spirit seizes my son. This word, it means to catch, to abduct, and to paralyze with fear. I'm talking to anybody in this room who's ever been stuck and fearful to the point where you didn't know what to do next. The Bible says, it, it takes my son and it seizes him. It, it prevents him from moving forward. And, and, and it's so frightful for both me and for him. It causes an immediate reaction from my son. He, he screams out in terror. He's fearful at the moment that he's seized. And he can't move. He can't move. He can't move. He's stuck. I want you to understand that the demonic assignment that we're talking about here today still exists right now in this moment, in this room. The enemy will call it a victory if he can just get you to stop right where you are. You said, how does this play out in my own life? Have you ever, you ever gotten serious about God and gone out on a limb and been real vulnerable with other church people about your own life? You ever been embarrassed the moment that you did? You ever tell somebody the truth about something you've been suffering with and then their reaction is not what you had hoped for? 
You're like, I'm dealing with lust. And they're like, ugh. What? No, wait. <laughs> you said this was a safe place. You ever tell somebody the truth? And then you immediately get attacked by the enemy and, be, and feel like you're foolish, like you don't belong, like everybody knows your secrets, like you should quit. This is the one of the most pervasive attacks I see in the church. It's like, it's like the moment that people really get serious about God. It happens all the time to people who get baptized, not only at this church but other churches. They finally make a declaration of faith. They finally start letting the Lord renew them and sanctify them from the inside out. And they make this public statement by being baptized. And, and then there's this wave of attack and shame that seizes them and says, you're a fool, you're a fake, you're a fraud. You'll never be free from your sin. In fact, all of these people know that you're lying. You should quit right here. It's the seizing of the enemy that says, I don't care what the Lord said. I want you to just quit. Stop. Give up. You've been in that moment, have you not? In fact, most every one of us has been in a moment where we've noticed that we're, we're far more quiet than we probably should be. Someone said, have you prayed through it? And you're like, prayer? I can't even talk about it. I want you to understand that this is a unique assignment from the enemy that specifically seeks to hinder your ability to grow in Jesus Christ. It's the seizing that causes fear that eliminates faith. And then the man says, but what's worse, Rabboni, teacher, is, it's not just that it grabs him and scares him. It also convulses him. This word convulse, it, it actually translates to tear. It means that this boy is under the spiritual attack in such a fashion that it doesn't just come after his mind, his thinking, his emotions, and how he feels. It's not just an unseen attack. This attack from the enemy has not just produced the kind of fear that stops him. It says, not only do I want to stop him, but I realize I need to break him. I need to tear him. I need to render him. And so what it happens is, is that this attack goes beyond just the mental and starts to have physical repercussions. The most perfect example of this in the modern world is addiction. And hear me now. Now when I say this, addiction is both a physical and natural disease and a spiritual attack in Jesus' name. I'm going to speak to you as one who's overcome addiction, one who's been in addiction, and one who walks with people day in and day out who are stuck in addiction of various forms of recovery. The reoccurring theme that utters from the mouth of all people who've suffered from severe and debilitating addiction is that it was not only dark, but there was someone dark with me. You ask any crystal meth addict, you ask anybody who suffered from fentanyl addiction, they will tell you about people, beings, the sense of a presence next to them while they were sick with addiction. Now, if you don't see that as a demonic affliction, I don't know how much more of a picture I can paint for you. And here's the way that this works. This convulsing spirit, this demonic attack that seeks not only to attack the spirit and the mind, works so hard that the attack on the inside starts to have outside repercussions. It's why the disease takes place. The Bible says that the boy is convulsed by the spirit and shaken in such a fashion that it begins to foam at the mouth. Foaming at the mouth, ask anybody in the medical profession, is a clear indicator of severe internal organ trauma. It's an indicator that there's been some sort of thing on the inside that has produced such trauma that it's showing signs on the outside. Here's how this works in so many of our lives. The enemy comes in, hear me now, through 
bad choices and takes root on the inside and begins to make himself home on the inside so that the outside can no longer function well. I'm going to tell you this today. Addiction is a disease. Don't believe the stigma that tells you that people who are addicts are bad people. They're good people with bad illness. And it began with bad choices. Y'all with me? Let's just call it like it is, okay? Addiction is a medical disorder that's brought about by entertaining bad choices. And you said, Pastor, don't worry, that's not me. I'm not an addict. I don't drink and I don't do drugs. In fact, I work 90 hours a week. I'm so busy I can't get high. Oh, hold on. I'm so busy I don't even have time to see my family. Oh, hold on. We might be talking about some, some bad choices or some choices that looked like they were good but they weren't God choices where in which the enemy was able to come in and take root and start to produce the wrong fruit in your life. You say, Pastor, it's not me. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't work 90 hours. In fact, I got so much leisure time, I spend 12 hours on the phone every day just scrolling. Whoop, hold on. You might be making some bad choices that are allowing the enemy to take some root, and you might not be bearing the right fruit. I'm going to tell you today that the, the attack of addiction, the convulsing attack, the attack that shakes up your life and tears you down from the inside out, it is more pervasive than you think. It's not just drugs and alcohol, not just work, not just scrolling, not just gambling. It's sex, it's love, it's relationships. Some of y'all can never be single. It's the same spirit. Now with me. The enemy says, I came to take root, because here's the deal. If I can stop you just by seizing you, well, that's good enough for me. But if you won't quit, well, then I'll start to hurt you so that you hurt yourself. It's the spirit of self-sabotage that from the inside out prevents us from moving forward. Amen. He says, it seizes my son, it convulses my son, and then... Well, Rabbi, it shatters him. This phrase here, it means to crush completely, to break the boy into pieces. And I want you to see something here. With the first attack, the seizing, there's an, an immediate reaction from the boy. He's fearful and he shrieks, he yells in fear. With the second attack, the convulsing, the tearing, it produces an immediate reaction, though an involuntary reaction a physical indication, the foaming of the mouth, that he is ill and diseased. But the third attack, well, it produces no reaction. The Bible says that it, it shatters the boy and no indication of a reaction. The understanding here for most theologians is that it, it throws the boy to the ground Josephus, when he writes about this instance, says that the indication was that the boy was thrown to the ground and, and found comfort in being crumpled on the ground. It, it is the idea that you would find function in dysfunction. Hear me, it is the same attack from the enemy today that we see played out in the spirit of depression in the lives of so many people. It's when the enemy gets a hold of your mind and changes your language and your understanding, not just about the world around you, but also about the world within you, so that we succumb to the understanding that we are less than, less than worthy of love, less than worthy of anything good. In fact, we are bad and that's good for us. 
He says, it shatters my boy and knocks him to the ground, and he won't get up. Pastor, he, he, rabbi, teacher, he won't get up. It's like he likes to be. He's shattered. He's a shell of who he was. It's not my boy. You see, the enemy, he'll call it a win if he can get you to quit. And he'll call it a win even if he has to hurt you. But boy, it's a real victory if he can get you to hurt you. If he can get you to talk negative to you. If he can get you to believe the lie that you aren't worthy of good things and that God's forgotten you and given up on you. Oh, that's a real victory because that is self-destruction. I want to ask you today how many of your words that are directed towards yourself resemble the words of the enemy. No, no one's going to love you. They left you because you deserve it. You're all alone. You'll never get it right. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not faithful enough. You're not real enough. You don't believe God enough. I want to ask you how many of your words are you shattering yourself and buying into the attack of the enemy? He says, Rabbi, he takes my son, he seizes him. He shakes my son and he hurts him. And he knocks my son to to the ground and he's convinced him that's where he belongs. And here's the worst part. He hardly ever leaves. The fourth attack of the enemy upon, uh, on this little boy is this, this, the fourth way in which the enemy most commonly attacks believers is, is the spirit of torment. It says, it says he hardly leaves. The, the original word was that he stays, meaning that it was nearly impossible for the boy to get away from the spirit. No matter how hard he tried, no matter how much the dad prayed, no matter how much that they believed and found every charlatan, a, a necromancer, or any other sorcerer or wizard, no matter what they tried, it just wouldn't go away. Every single morning they woke up, it was the same feeling of desperation and worry. You know this. You've been through this before. You, you, you think you've been over it. You've done with it. You, you worried about it enough. You prayed about it enough. You went to bed. You woke up, and that's Same thing. Why do I keep worrying about the same thing? Maybe you do it like me. Right before bed, you're like, what's the worst thing I can worry about for the next six hours? Do you do this? You ever just convince yourself, let's not sleep? (laughs) And it's always the same thing. You already told the Lord, I have victory over it. And he's like, amen. And you're like, but I'll take it back and freak out for a little while. This is the spirit of torment. Better yet, described today as... spiritual attack of anxiety. It says, why don't we just worry for worry's sake? Why don't we be unwilling to walk away? Why don't we be trapped in fear? Let me give you a quick definition of worry so that you you can put it in proper perspective for you. Remember that the Bible is clear on its teaching around worry. Jesus tells us on more than one occasion, do not worry. Fear not, worry for nothing. Consider the birds of the air, they neither reap nor sow nor store grain in barns, and yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. What makes you think he won't take care of you? Worry, perfectly defined as this, dreaming of a future where God is not present. It's like this, God, I know you're here now and you've been faithful then, and and here's the truth, I'm positive you won't be there tomorrow. That's worry. And hear me, it's completely false. 
If God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, there is no future without God. And if God is always good yesterday, today, and forevermore, there is no future without a good God. If he made a way, he's going to make a way again. And the enemy wants to come against that. Oh, what would happen if God's people were full of faith that said, this ain't a good day, but tomorrow's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. That's why the enemy comes after us. He says, no, tomorrow will be worse. And the problem is, is that so many of us have bought into that. Yeah, tomorrow probably will be worse. He says, Rabbi, this is what happens to my son. Seizes him. Tears him. Shatters him. I won't leave him. And then the man begins to speak in the most candid of languages, and he paints the picture of the common discouragement that comes to every believer when it comes to spiritual warfare. He says, Jesus, it's right here in your text. He says, I asked your disciples. If they could help. You were gone yesterday. I don't know where you went, but you and your buddies, you just came down from the mountain. Your faces are all shining. That's a different story. I don't know where you went, but you weren't here. And we needed you. And so I asked your disciples, the same men that you sent out with great power to heal, to proclaim the gospel, and they couldn't help me. And I, I, I think this is important in the text, and we can't skip over it and just go to what Jesus does to help the man see relief from the affliction over his son. This part is important. The man says, I came to those who are called by your name for help, and they could do nothing. And I'll just put it on you right here. You have a ministry, and your ministry is vitally important to the people around you. We never get positive feedback on that. It was the same service. Now, in the first service, I said it, and people were like, nope, don't want to hear it. <laughs> hear me, church. You have a ministry. Oh, let me flip it. You know how in some churches we say it differently. We say, you have a purpose. Does that one work better? We say, God has a divine purpose for you. He's called you to do amazing things and change the world, rich and popular and successful, with a little Holy Ghost sprinkled in on the side. That's what we mostly say in the church, but that's not what the text says. God never talks about your purpose. He always talks about your ministry. God has called each one of us to ministry. And this is the picture of why that's so important. A man whose only son is being attacked ruthlessly is in desperate need of help. And he says, I heard that the followers of Jesus could cast out demons. And he finds one and he says, help me. And they say, oh, I could never do anything like that. Maybe when Jesus comes back, we can pray. Someone in your life right now is in desperate need of your assistance. Right now, there's somebody at your job and in your family down your street. Their marriage is falling apart. Their money is funny. They've fallen back into addiction. And they know that you know the answer. And they're just waiting to talk to you about it. And your response, our response, so many times the response is, I don't know what to do. You should come to church. Maybe my pastor will pray for you. Hear me. There was nothing, nothing special about these prayer hands. We call people down to this altar. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not the only one praying. Do you know why? Because miracle doesn't come from me. Miracle comes through you from God. You have a ministry, and you are on assignment. Fra and frankly, you're, you're, you're on call. You have like a Holy Ghost beeper right here. 
and it's always buzzing, but you never seem to make the call back. You have a ministry, and you better start answering that call. The Bible says that the man says, I asked your disciples, and they couldn't do nothing. And Jesus responds as only Jesus can respond without it being sinful. He says, oh, faithless, twisted generation. How much longer do I need to be here and bear with you? As an indictment to every lackadaisical Christian who says, I want Jesus for me, but I sure don't want to be Jesus through me. It's too much work. It's too embarrassing. It's too fearful. It costs me. Jesus is faithless and twisted. In the description of this passage, the same story in Matthew 17, the Bible says that the disciples during Jesus' absence while he was on the Mount of Transfiguration had lost faith. It was as if they had faith when he was with them, but the moment they departed, like Sunday was great, but Monday, no faith. Oh, if you come to church, I'll pray with you, but on Mondays, I don't really know how to pray. In the same story in the passage from Mark 9, In chapter 9, the Bible says that Jesus tells, after the healing, he says, this kind of thing can only be done through prayer. It's a picture like this. You are called, you're anointed, you're needed, but you're ineffective because you've lost faith and you don't pray. You all with me? Let's do it again. You're called. And you're anointed. And you are desperately needed. But this world hasn't seen Jesus because your faith is temporal and your prayer is minimal. This story could have been totally different If these disciples had kept the faith while Jesus was on the mountain and kept praying, this man could have came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's up? This is my son. He's perfect. I met one of your guys on the street the other day. Bartholomew? Weird name. I told him what was going on. It was bad. And Bartholomew said, hold up. Let's do something. Let's pray. And I've never seen anything like it. But Jesus, this is your guy. I want to be one of your guys. This is awesome. He laid hands on my son and my son is free. And the son says, are you Jesus? Nice to meet you. That could have been the story. But the story is that they lost faith and they stopped praying. But aren't you grateful that we have a Jesus who's still faithful when we're not? Amen? Amen. Because he, he calls them out. Jesus says, you faithless, twisted generation. And then he looks back at the man and he says, bring your son here. I'm so grateful I have a God who's willing to heal, save, and deliver even when I drop the ball every single day. He's willing to work through me even when I clam up and get worried about what people will think of me. He's willing to speak truth even when I stumble over my words. And he calls the boy to him, and in just three short things, he shows us the perfect blueprint blueprint for deliverance. Let me show this to you. Verse 42. 
calls the boy to him. And while the boy was coming, the demon throws one last temper tantrum. It says he threw the boy to the ground and it convulsed him in an attempt to intimidate Jesus. But I don't know if you know anything about Jesus. He ain't a scared of nothing. It says, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. One, two, three. Every part of this is absolutely necessary for complete and total deliverance, and everything needs to happen in exactly this order. Jesus does it like this, and Luke accounts for every part of the detail so you and I don't miss nothing, so we never have the chance to be called a faithless and twisted generation. Jesus says, they missed it, but y'all don't have to miss it, and here's how it works. Jesus calls the boy to him, and he doesn't negotiate with the demon, and he doesn't get nervous when the demon acts up. There's a manifestation of the spirit realm and Jesus isn't afraid of nothing. He looks at the boy. Better yet, he looks through the boy to the demon at the source of the affliction and the Bible says he rebukes the demon. You know how I'm always talking about how I wish I was in the Bible and could see things happen in real time? This is one of those. I wish I was over here when Jesus called this little boy. Little boy. Jesus calls a little boy over to him and he gets down like this and I imagine in my sanctified mind, Jesus all of the power that created all things. And the tenderness that said, bring the little children to me. Spoke to the heart of a boy. And to the scum of the earth. And simultaneously rebuked and healed. Now let's break them in half. Bible says that Jesus takes command and authority over the situation and he rebukes the demon. He says this to the, the demon. You don't belong here. Notice he doesn't say Jesus, Nazareth, <laughs> Savior of the world. There's no resume. He just stands in the authority that the Father has granted him. And he says matter-of-factly, you do not have authority here. You do not belong here, and you have to leave here. That's it. That's the first thing he does. And you say, well, duh, of course he does that. He's Jesus. He could do anything. Well, true. And also true that the same God dwells in the life of every believer here. So this isn't just Jesus saying, this is how I did it. This is Jesus saying, this is how it's done. You look that demon in the face and you say, you no longer have authority here. And by the power of Jesus of Nazareth and the blood that was shed on Calvary, I command you to go. Now. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a manifestation of demons. I don't know if you've ever seen like one of these moments. But this moment right here has to and can only be done in all faith. Y'all with me? If you think you can look a demon in the eye and be like, oh, I really hope you'll leave. <laughs> that fight's going to take a little while. I'm telling you right now with all confidence in his heart, knowing full well exactly who he is and who they are not, this God of ours stands and looks at this devil of theirs and says, you get out of here right now in the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Boom. Gone. 
And then, number two, it says he heals the boy. Now, I want you to see this because this is what we talked about at the beginning of the message about people who believe in the spiritual realm but also believe in therapy. Amen? We believe in praying and doctors. The Bible says he speaks authority, rebukes and corrects and commands the spirit to leave. And immediately that spirit is left, which means there's no longer any affliction on the boy. Y'all with me? There's no spiritual attack. There's no possession, no obsession, no condemnation, no oppression, no nothing. This boy is set free. Done. But... Remember, when the, when the father tells the story of this boy, it says that he's thrown to the ground, he convulses, he foams at the mouth, there's some significant injury. Some of the other passages say that he's thrown into the fire. There are, even though he's delivered from the demon in this moment, some natural and physical repercussions. There's some wounds from the fight. And Jesus paints a perfect picture. He says, out with the demon. And now we've got to tend to the human. I'm a little bit over churches that think that you just lay hands on each other and knock each other down and then call it good. Can I tell you that? I'm also a little bit over about churches that won't lay hands on each other and knock each other down. Y'all with me? It's a both hand. We lay hands and command the devil to flee, and then we tend to the dysfunctional symptoms and systems that have arisen from demonic possession. You mean to tell me that I'm going to pray the demon of addiction off your life, and then you won't go to treatment? I got to tell you, bro, I think you need a couple 12-step meetings. Amen. You're going to tell me that I'm going to cast out the spirit of depression and you're not going to see a therapist to talk about some of the patterns of behavior that you've been involved in, the way in which you've enacted self-harm or trauma? No, both are possible and necessary. Jesus speaks to the spiritual need. He says, out, demon, and then he tends to the natural need because the boy is a human and he needs help. Y'all with me? This is how it works. We cast the devil out because he doesn't belong here. And then we care for the human who belongs here. And then the third thing he says, Jesus then takes the boy. Oh, I love this part. And he gives the boy back to his father. The picture is actually not that he turns the boy around and says, go see your dad. The picture is as if the man had stepped back from Jesus as the work was done full trust that this was a thing only between the boy and God. And maybe if he's like every praying mother or father, I'm, I'm never going to stop praying, but this is, this is in God's hands now. And when Jesus does the work, the picture is that Jesus had embraced the boy and carried him home to the loving arms of his father. Hear me, the deliverance is not complete until the boy is brought back in perfect relationship and in order. Y'all with me? This is the way that it works. We cast out the enemy, we tend to the natural needs, and then we bring things back into the natural order. The reason this is important is because too many of us in this day and age have settled for halfway healing. We came down to the altar, we got prayed for, and that was just enough. But we weren't willing to let the Lord do what the Lord needed to do. Pastor Josh preached all about it. He taught us to trust the process. And when he says the process, he doesn't mean the first half of the process. We're talking about trusting God until all the way when he's done, which means not only is he trying to heal you, but he's also excavating some things from you. There's some stuff in your life that needs to go, and then that's when you're healed. Not just when you stop doing something. Jesus says, I'm going to rebuke the enemy and heal the body 
and restore the family. And that's deliverance. And so here we are. You're in this room right now. And in some way, some part of what I've shared today resonated with you. Right now your life is out of order. Right now you feel stuck. You're paralyzed with fear about who you are, where you're supposed to go next. You've been bound by addiction to substances, relationships, sex, work, gambling. You're stuck in a cycle of the same repetitive and sinful behavior that you know is self-destructive and you can't get out of. Right now the enemy has lied to you so that you'll lie to yourself and you become comfortable in dysfunction. Everyone here is fighting some fight, amen. The truth of the matter is, is that you're not alone in fighting anxiety, depression, fear, worry, loneliness, or addiction. But the truth is also that you have the victory in Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet today? All over the room. We're going to today. We're going to do something today. And I want to encourage you to be bold in this moment. If you're here today and you're fighting, if you're under attack, you're in the midst of a spiritual battle, I want to invite you to come to the altar. The altar is open right now. If you're in the midst of a fight and you're losing, come down. If you're worried and you're fearful and you're lost, if it feels like the enemy's got the upper hand, I want to come, want to invite you to come down here right now. Come down to this place. We'll wait. You're here and no one around you knows, but you're still struggling with an area of your life, of your mind, your will and emotions. Your spirit is still suffering from negative words from yourself, Negative thinking from your past. You just feel like you can't get away from it. It's been an ongoing, tormenting thing that hasn't left. I want you to come down. And I want you to make as much room as you can. Come all the way down to the front because we're going to do something different today. Remember I told you that it's not me that makes special intercession. <laughs> you don't need to be prayed for just by your pastor. I want to do something special for all of you who are still in your seats. Hear me. And every one of you where you are right now has fought the fight of addiction, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, and you've won, would you come to this altar as well? Would all of my victors join these in the fight right now down at this altar? If you've seen God work a miracle, if you've seen him pull you out of struggle, if you've seen him rebuke the devourer for your sake and call you to a place where the glorious light shines, if you've won, would you come down to this altar right now in the name of Jesus? Let's see if we can make as much room as possible. Come to the middle. I'm going to ask everybody who's fighting and everybody who's winning to be on level ground so that we would worship together in this room right now. Now, I know you don't know who you're standing next to, but I'm going to ask you to come down all the way as far as you can. And I'm going to ask you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person right next to you, especially if you don't know them. And I'm going to ask you right now in the name of Jesus to begin to pray the spirit of victory over their life. 
right now, in your own words, in your own moment right here, between you and someone you've never met, a child of God, someone who's about to be set free by those who have been set free, I'm going to ask right now that you begin to pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come against every demonic attack and every assignment. I cast out the devil by the power of the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary. I come against depression. I come against anxiety. I cancel out fear. I cast aside addiction. I declare that right now at this altar, we are being made whole, being made new. We rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. We ask you right now, Lord, that the spirit of victory would reign supreme right now. We're called to ministry and we're ministering to each other right in the midst of our affliction. Right now, everyone within the sound of my voice would know that my God, my God is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's over every demon and every assignment who pretended and thought that he could walk into this room and take territory. Those whom the Son have set free are free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. And amen. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Let's go!